Turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, go and do that. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have guys that will come and bring you one. So you can just put your hand real high in the air and they will come do that for you. You can keep this if you don't have a Bible. If you do have a Bible, um, just go ahead and drop this one back off in the back on your way out. Okay? As you're doing that, let me give you some background to John. Um, this book was written by John, uh, who was essentially Jesus' best friend. These guys were just tight. Um, and so if you look at the Gospel of John, there are stories that you'll find in the Gospel of John that you won't find in the other three Gospels. Okay? There are some more intimate details to some of the stories that you'll find in the Gospel of John that you won't find in the others. And, and chapter 8 is one of those stories. Okay? Uh, also, John tells us in the book himself that the purpose of him writing this Gospel is that we would know Jesus. Okay? And so some of us enter into this room tonight and we align with Jesus. Right? We buy into what he said. We, we, we jump on board, uh, we, we get, you know, Savior, Lord, the whole deal. And then other people in here tonight, maybe you're coming, uh, you got drug here, you, 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 I don't know, you're checking it out for the first time, you have questions, but you don't believe Jesus, you don't believe the story. But this, this text is for you, this whole book is for you as well, that you too would know Jesus, right? And that those who do know him now, that we would know him more. And so we'll jump in to verse 1 and read along. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So at this point, Jesus' ministry is, is literally in full swing, okay? He's already begun to engage with culture, begin his ministry. People are following. So if he went somewhere, people followed, okay? If he sat down to teach, people sat down to listen, okay? So Jesus is beginning to already have uh, an influence over the culture. And so it's not unlike even the situation we have today that we have every Sunday that people from all walks of life, different demographics, gather here at Redemption Tempe to hear about the Bible, to hear about these teachings and what Jesus would say. And so it's not too different. So I want to set the stage because uh, much of this story could even occur tonight, if, if that is the way that this went. And so um, we'll go on. Verse, verse 3. <clears throat> the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And so let's, let's stop there. I wanna, we're going to introduce here uh, two characters. Okay? On one hand, we have this woman who's caught in adultery that is being drug into the temple, as Jesus teaches. And on the other side, you have the scribes and the Pharisees. And if you don't know who they are, these are the, the religious elite of the time. Okay? The, the guys who just thought they had it all figured out. Okay? And, and they would obey the law to the, to the nth degree, but not for God's glory, but for their own. Kind of a pious religion uh, type of deal. And so they come in dragging this woman on the ground. Okay, and so you, you picture this moment, even as you would tonight, of a bunch of guys barging through the back door, pulling a woman, physically probably dragging her along as she fights and screams, probably bruised, maybe dirty, and, and fearful and full of shame and guilt and remorse for the act that she was just caught in, right? And, and so we, we, we can sit here and kind of picture this moment, and they go on. They place, and placing her in the midst, verse 4, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, okay? And so this scandalous moment becomes real as all of the people, so you guys, right, if this were to happen here, begin to hear, okay, so this, this woman, they're dragging her in because, man, she, she was just lying with another man's, uh, with another wife, 
another woman's husband. There it is. It's tough. Uh, and so they get dragged in, and she is now placed before the people, everyone staring at her for this sin. So imagine any sin you have, we drag you up to the front and then announce it to everybody. Right? The shame, the guilt, maybe your deepest, darkest, darkest deal, you're standing here beaten up, and everyone gets to know what you just did. Right? The shame, the fear at what could happen. And so in verse 5, <clears throat> now, so they're speaking, the Pharisees speaking to Jesus, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Right? So they immediately identify with Moses, who Jesus would have been extremely pro-Moses. Right? He's a teacher of the law. He would have been pro-Moses and said, yeah, no, I, I agree with Moses. They say, hey, you know what Moses said, your boy, Moses said that this woman deserves death, right? that she should be stoned to death. And, and the, the thing is, is this is absolutely true. Right? They, they tell no lies. Deuteronomy 22, Leviticus 20, other Old Testament passages would say, listen, if you catch a man, or if you catch a woman and a man in the act of adultery, stone them to death. This is, this is a real situation. So they, they come in and bring a real charge. And so the people hear this, and I can only imagine, they're just thinking, so what? Man, what is Jesus going to say to this? See, what, what are they going to say? And we're going to see that, and it really, let me just read the first part of six. This they said to test him, okay? So they don't drag her in that there would be real justice for this woman, that they would actually glorify God through upholding the law. Rather, they're doing it to try and catch Jesus. And so <clears throat> I had this moment just, uh, and it was probably about three days ago. My wife and I were just laying in bed, praying for you guys and doing some other things and just hanging out and looking at the computer, Facebook, something like that. And she asked me, she says, hey Vince, have you ever heard of this website? And I had, I had heard of the website and I had re I read some blogs on it and things like that. But I want to read to you this, uh, th their, their subtitle, if you will. So if, it's, if we're Redemption Church, right, gospel-centered, outward-focused, this was da-da-da-da-da-da.com, life short, have an affair, Right? Whoa. Life short, have an affair. Like this, and, and here's the deal. It's one of the fastest growing websites in America. Life short. So what they do is on the front end, they lie to you about your worldview, okay? They say, listen, life short. It's you've got 80 years to make this thing great, so you better do whatever's gonna bring you pleasure in that first 80 years. And the solution then is have an affair, Cheat on your spouse, neglect, betray, the whole deal. It doesn't matter because life's short, indulge yourself. One of the fastest growing sites. See, see what we see is, and, and I bring this up to show you, listen, people are coming against you to try and undercut who you are. Like, so, so, so the world is coming up against your belief system, your worldview, and giving you a solution that is false. And so, and here's, here's one of the best ways I know it, because one of their, their new marketing campaign, ready, is if, the, if you can come forward with evidence, okay, they'll give you a million dollars if you can prove that you slept with Tim Tebow, right? If you can prove that you slept with God's favorite human, you get a million dollars, right? Like, unbelievable that, that they're trying to there's this, look at this guy and say, you know what, that guy's too good. This whole Jesus thing, that's craziness. Let's find a way to undercut his message. Let's find a way to undercut and destroy really who he is. And listen, the same thing is happening here, 
Okay, these Pharisees are coming up against Jesus in order to trap him, to trick him, and they're doing it very, in a very sly way, the way, the same way that I think we get inundated with things like this that are just flat-out lies in an attempt to steal your heart, to steal your minds, and ultimately through Satan's dealings to steal your soul. And so it is a real battle that we're involved in. And so it's a, a real cultural uh, flesh versus spirit battle that we're in. And so they approach Jesus with this in this, this same type of attitude to deceive, not for their gain and not for God's, or sorry, not for Jesus' gain and not for God's gain, but rather for their own. And so in verse 6, it says, again, this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Okay, and so um, they, they, they're trying to trap him in two different ways. Okay, one is they're trying to, like I said with the, with the Tebow thing, they're trying to undercut his authority to preach and teach, okay? Because they're saying, you know, your guy Moses, he said this is what you need to do. So if you don't do it, you're clearly going against the law that you say you so love and proclaim to us every time you teach. And so, and so they're trying to trap him so that all that would listen would immediately think, oh, this guy's a fraud, right? I'm not going to believe what he has to say. Okay, and then the second piece is actually kind of a lawful judicial sense that there was a, uh, um, a Roman decree passed down from Caesar that said, if you're going to condemn someone to death within this region, uh, we've got to do it. Okay, so uh, the, a Roman official has got to be the one that's going to say, yeah, death. All right, and that's why even just 10 chapters later, Jesus will be brought to Pontius Pilate for his sentencing and, and subsequent crucifixion. Because it had to be Roman authority. So if Jesus were to, in that moment, cast this sentence upon her and take part in the stoning and death of this woman, he would be overstepping Caesar and then hence bringing himself to guilt and then having himself brought off to Roman jail and eventually death himself. And so the Pharisees win again because not only is his message now gone, he's literally gone and, they, and then power and, and the, the influence that they had over the people would be restored. Okay? And so this whole thing in an effort to try and get rid of Jesus. All right? And then the second part of that is um, it says that he wrote in the ground. And there, there's different theories about what Jesus wrote here. Um, there's, there's some that say that he wrote, wrote out the Ten Commandments. Um, there's others that say that he actually wrote the name of one of the Pharisees. And this, this is because, man, if you catch somebody in the act of adultery, you don't just know the woman, you know the man involved. right? You know the other party. And so, where's the guy at in this story? Why isn't he being drugged in? And so, some would say that you could make the, the assumption that maybe one of the guys present, even one of the Pharisees himself, is actually the guy that was caught having adultery with this woman, right? And so, and so there's different things written. I think, and this is just my opinion, that Jesus was just doodling, right? And, and here's why I think this. I was, uh, again, with my wife, and uh, she was, uh, we were talking, and she has this kind of proclivity to check out when I talk, which is problematic sometimes, but other times it's probably her, for her best. But anyway, um, she's, she's there, and we're having this discussion probably about something, you know, really, you know, amazing, and uh, all of a sudden I see her looking down, and I, I'm like, hey, are, are, you, are you paying attention? She looks up, she's like, yeah, yeah, I got everything you said, I got everything you said. I said, okay. Um, and so, and then I look over at what she's done, 
and she had like the Mona Lisa drawn out on her paper. Like it was just beautiful. There was vibrant colors. And it's like, were you able to listen to me and doodle at the same time? That sounds impossible. And she's like, no, I got everything. And we had a discussion about it. It was great. I think Jesus is kind of just having this moment where they're coming at him and they're just, they're asking him this question. And they're coming at Jesus and he's just down there doodling. Just, yeah, whatever, I'm just gonna do my thing. And then he comes back in verse seven and says this. This may be the worst illustration I've ever used. <laughs> and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, and this is, this is just that verse, right? And it, and it gets used all the time across our culture, but let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And so, man, all of these people, again, just wondering, man, wh- how, what's Jesus going to say? What's his answer going to be? Is he, is he going to condemn this woman? Is he going to obey the law that Moses gave us and take part and sentence this woman to death, right? Or is he going to do what Jesus does and kind of subvert the whole thing and say, no, 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 he who has no sin cast the first stone. In other words, listen, if, if you're ready to kill this woman, you better be ready for me to kill you, right? Because, because there is no one that is blameless, right? There is no one that is blameless, and so we all deserve a, a certain death. These guys in the room did, and, and we do tonight, right? And so he's, he's just very much saying, listen, if, if you could do that, if you could come at her, just be ready for the repercussion that would be in equal in quality with, with what you've done. And so he, he has this, this brilliant moment, and I, and I imagine the woman Right, after being drugged through the temple against her will, all the people watching her, shaming her, just staring at her, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus, the holy teacher, the man, the guy that everybody's been talking about, doesn't condemn her, right? doesn't jump into the first opportunity he has to take this woman's life and prove the law that he's so been teaching. And so maybe for that moment, the fear finally lifts off of her shoulders that she had been feeling ever since she was drugged in the room. I'm gonna die. And then Jesus, one line from Jesus, frees her of that fear of death. Going on, he's gonna keep doing some freeing stuff, it's great. Verse nine. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, right? And so this, this line doesn't just lift this burden, this weight off of the woman, but it sends the crowd packing. And, and I think, and, and, and you kind of see this story with the Pharisees over and over and over, where they try and trap Jesus, they try and get in there and they try and mess with him, they try and come up with different ways to scheme against Jesus, and it always fails, right? And so I see them kind of huddled, walking away, kind of just head down, he did it again, you know, just upset with Jesus. And, and I had this moment uh, pretty recently. It was about three weeks ago. Um, it was about 6 a.m. in the morning, and so that's how I defend how, why this happened. Um, but I show up at the church, and there was a group of pastors. We were going to head up to Flagstaff, pray over the city. Um, and so uh, we're getting ready to leave, and Ricardo and I are begin kind of joking around, right? Um, what, ter- what was a joking turned into a wrestling match, right? Um, Wrestling Ricardo is a bad idea, okay? It's like wrestling a horse. I'm kidding you not. The dude is, it's like a beast, okay? And so um, about 10 seconds into this thing, 
my leg is behind my head, right? I, I'm just, you know, I'm saying, uncle, it's awful. Everyone's watching, super awkward. And then in that moment, I have to get up and just walk away like an idiot. Like, and, and, every, and I walk back, like, having to come up with some lie about how my, you know, my back was hurting or something like that, and that's why I didn't beat him. But let's be honest, the dude's a horse, okay? So, um, but I just picture these guys defeated walking away and how, how Jesus can, he, what he does, the, his way is better and it subverts and it pushes back against all the lies that people would look to, to give you about your worldview, about where you're coming from and, and the like. So um, going on, the second half of nine, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So it's just him and this woman. Verse 10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And this word Lord, yeah, it, it is the word. It is the supreme authority word. So there's this, this confession moment for her where she sees Jesus for who he really is. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus replies. Right? Oh, man. That moment, right? Just again, let's just backtrack five minutes in this story. This woman was just thinking she was going to be dragged amongst her peers, okay, um, with the shame, the guilt, the weight, okay, of, of all of the people knowing her sin, and then the fear of death at the hands of not just the Pharisees, but a teacher who knows the law and loves the law. And now, Jesus Christ, again, the holy teacher, says to her, I don't condemn you either. And the, 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 the weight, right, that's lifted off her shoulders, the, the guilt, the shame that I think we experience far too much for those who love Jesus and those in the room that don't, I want you to know there is a weight that is lifted as you hear the words from Jesus, neither do I condemn you. That see that Jesus comes in and removes that in the confession of faith that this woman has, that she sees Jesus for who he really is. And, and we'll see more who he is as we go on. Now, the second part of 11, I don't think, and this is kind of the part that I think we tend to leave off, okay? Um, but the second part of 11 is the part that we don't like, because it says this, go and from now on sin no more. Right? And this is, wait, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 there's, there's no condemnation. Don't judge me. And we get, we get all of these different taglines that we forget about this part that then Jesus calls us to a righteous life. He calls this woman to a righteous life. Stop your adulterous ways. Go and live that life now and sends her off. And I think, man, at least in my heart, you guys might be holier than I, but man, when I, when I read this, I'm like, man, geez, you just, you just leave her like that? You just have this incredible moment where she comes, experiences the grace of God, confesses you as Lord, and you just tell her to go and sin no more. That sounds really hard. I've tried that. It doesn't work. There's got to be something else, and I think we'll find the answer in Hebrews chapter 4. And so Garth read this a bit earlier <clears throat> um, during our confession time. But in verse 14, Hebrews 4, if you want to turn there, you can, but it'll be on the screen. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest, Jesus, right, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, 
right? So, so the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate this idea that, okay, as that woman left, her responsibility was to hold fast her confession in Jesus, right? Because Jesus was God, is God, uh, became man, went through the heavens, passed down, becomes man, a great high priest, and then verse 15 is, is this the kicker, ready? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so, man, we, I think we, we come to Jesus. This woman could have easily turned around with that statement that Jesus gives her and says, um, but you don't know my life. You, you don't know what I've had to go through. You don't know my story. You don't know what he said to me. You don't know what she did to me. She used to be my best friend, then she betrayed me. You don't know whatever the story could be, Jesus. And, so, and then his response is, not true. I became man. I experienced all of the weakness that it is to be a man, the limitations to be a man. I went through all of it, and I can associate and know everything you've been through. So, man, I can tell you this. I don't know all your stories, right? So when, when we meet up and I try and give any counsel or one of the pastors here or a good friend, maybe they don't know the depths of your story. I don't know the depths of your heart and what, what has happened to you and what is happening now. But Jesus does. That's, that's why he can say, go and sin no more, because Jesus knows. It's not, it's, not, it's not about us, right? But Jesus knows. So, so we hold fast to that confession. Because here's the most beautiful part of this whole thing. The most beautiful part of this whole thing is as, as that woman was dragged before Jesus, see, he still kind of runs into the problem of how do I fulfill the law? How, do I, how is my authority in the law not questioned in this moment if I don't condemn this woman to death? Right? How, do, how, how, does, how does Jesus get out of that one? And here's how. Because the law demanded death for this woman, right? The law demanded death. And so Jesus could have very much, he who has no sin, be the first to cast the stone, right? He could have picked up the stone and killed her right then and there and been completely justified, okay? God could be completely justified in destroying this entire room right now, right? Because, because of our transgression. But, ready? But, the love of Christ substitutes in his own death for her death. Substitutes in his own death for our death. And so instead of picking up the stone and killing this woman, he says, no, you know what? Because coming up, I will die for you. And so that's why we see as, as Christ is on the cross, and Ricardo read this on Good Friday, he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? So, so, so the, the death penalty was still there. Instead of Jesus enacting on this woman, he enacts it on himself, and he does that not just for her, but for every one of us. Everyone who would hold fast their confession in Jesus. That is good news. That is gospel. That's the most beautiful part. It's the most scandalous part of the story is that he would do that. The only one who lived the life that we could not live, that dies the death that we deserved, that we might be the righteousness of God. Scandalous and amazing. And then in verse 16, let us then with confidence 
draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so here's, here's the kicker. So in verse 11, he, he sends her off, go and sin no more. But, but the piece is he doesn't just leave her to her own devices, okay? He, he says, hold fast to this confession. We see the writer in Hebrews, hold fast to the confession because as you do that, as you go to Jesus, he gives you all of the grace necessary in your time of need. So as you walk in weakness, as you walk and combat sin in a world that's trying to deceive you, you go to Jesus and he gives us the power, the strength, the grace to be able to walk and stand up in every temptation because he did it. And so he can, he can point us to himself to say, I am the answer. And so we go to Jesus. And so whatever those stories are, the ones that I, don't, I could never fully know because they're your stories, those ones I don't know, Jesus does, go to him. Get on your knees. In those moments of weakness, pray. Because here's also the part. He does leave her at the end of that story, in the end of the narrative in John 8, with verse 11, to go and sin no more, because God does care about holiness. He does care about righteousness. He doesn't throw those things away here. He, he, loved, him, he loved her so much that he could send her out on that and then not a short time later, fulfill all that was necessary that she could do it well. And he's done the same for everyone in this room. And so we can walk out into this world, we can walk back into our jobs with the ability and the power and our confession of who Christ is in our life to be able to live through any temptation, any sin, and anything that we battle. Amen? I want to say this before we close. Um, if you're here, right, um, this is who Jesus is if you don't know him, okay? This, this, is, this is what I love about narrative. This is what I love about story. And that's why I love hanging out with a lot of you guys and hearing your story because I get to know about you. I get to know about your character. This is one story of many about Jesus. And so if you're here and, and you, this guy is still kind of just this historical figure to you and not your Lord and Savior, man, read about him. Get to know him. Ask him questions. He is listening to you. Hold fast the confession if you are in here and you love Jesus. That is the imploring moment that we would walk out these doors equipped by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, to go to Jesus every time that we'd walk sinless and blameless lives before him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for another Sunday just to be able to come and, and hear from your word. God, I thank you that you, um, you had men like John who were, such, uh, were so close to you. That God, that we can look at their, their literal eyewitness testimony, really just stories of their life with you, God, and learn more about who you are. Jesus, I pray that more than just words on a page or words from my mouth, that, we, that God, would you have your presence here with us, that we would know you surely by your existence in our lives, by your presence in this place. And so, God, that we would see and know more about who you are, your love for your creation. And God, what is it like for us to know you more and more? I pray that, God, that scales would be lifted off of eyes, that hearts would be inclined and turned towards yours. God, thank you for your cross. Thank you for providing a way, living a perfect life that we could not live and dying a death that we deserve that we could be called back into right relationship with you. God, you're so good. Would you bless the rest of our night that, God, you would be glorified in all of our singing 
and in our praying. And God, whatever else we do for the rest of our evenings and on into this week. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name, amen.